Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 21. The topic, Jesus is pouring out the Holy Spirit as history moves towards his second coming to reign over the earth. The title of our message, When He Reigns, It Pours. <laughs> no, it's not, it's, a, it's all right, it's in the all right pile. Verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. These are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray together. Lord, we pause for prayer to acknowledge your presence here as you would walk in the midst of your church and minister to each heart individually. We thank you for this text and uh, we want you to put it into the context of our lives so that we might know you more and reveal you to a watching world. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You're probably all familiar with the Anacreontic song. It was the official song of the Anacreontic Society, a club of amateur musicians in London who gathered regularly to perform concerts. The primary purpose of the society and its song was to promote an interest in music, this, however, did not keep the song from being associated with alcohol, as it was commonly used as a sobriety test. If you could sing a stanza of the notoriously difficult lyrics and stay on key, you were sober enough for another round of drinks. The melody became well known after Francis Scott Key borrowed it for his song, originally titled Defense of Fort McHenry. He wrote it while detained on a British ship during the night of September 13, 1814, as the British forces bombarded the American fort. It was later retitled the Star-Spangled Banner and was officially designated as our national anthem in 1931. Our national anthem started out as a drinking song. On the day of Pentecost, the 120 believers began to praise the Lord in languages they had never learned. Men in the amazed and perplexed crowd that gathered suggested they were drunk and that their behavior was similar to singing drinking songs. They weren't drunk, they were drenched. They had just received the promised baptism with the Holy Spirit and they were filled with the Spirit. Peter would describe it three times in this chapter as the effect of Jesus pouring out his Holy Spirit upon them as if they had been spiritually drenched by a heavenly downpour. For about 10 seconds, first service, I thought about standing out in the rain before the message and just getting soaking wet 
and then coming in and just preaching like nothing was going on as a visual illustration. Maybe, would you believe, eight seconds. <laughs> would have been good. This is the best I can do right now. But anyway... Um, Peter's description, though, indicates that this drenching should characterize all believers during the entire period of time, which he called the last days. He further warned that it would be followed by another kind of outpouring. In this case, it would be the outpouring of the wrath of God in judgment upon unbelievers. We'll see that. You're supposed to be drenched. Do people recognize it? Judgment is going to be poured out. Do people realize it? That's what I want to talk about today. I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, help people to recognize that Jesus has poured out his spirit upon you. And number two, help people to realize that Jesus will pour out his wrath upon them. First of all, in verses 14 through 18, help people to recognize that Jesus has poured out his spirit upon you. If you've ever been caught in a downpour, you've gotten drenched. When you finally get inside, It's obvious because you're dripping wet and people say to you, you're dripping wet, as if it wasn't obvious. (laughs) I don't know. The promised baptism with the Holy Spirit is described as a kind of spiritual downpour. It's a really beautiful imagery. The disciples were drenched and it was obvious. The thing we need to understand this morning is that the baptism this downpour, this drenching, it's to be characteristic of all believers all the time. To put it another way, unbelievers should still have cause to accuse us of being drunk. Verse 14, but Peter standing up with the 11 raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea, all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, it's only the third hour of the day. It's only nine o'clock, Peter said. Now, Peter and the 11, including Matthias, weren't defending themselves. He was even being a little humorous about the accusation. His statement in verse 15 can mean, we're not drunk yet, it's still too early in the day, as if they might get drunk later on. Now, of course, they wouldn't, but it's, it's, a, it's a moment of humor. We don't often see that because we're not expecting humor in the Bible. Uh, and, and so Peter, instead of defending himself, he, he uses their accusation in a humorous way to open up a door to talk to them. I think more opportunities would present themselves for us to be witnesses if we would just get over trying to defend ourselves. We worry a little bit too much about what others accuse us of. Uh, No one, well, I was gonna say no one likes to be thought of as a Jesus freak, but the truth is we all ought to be excited about being thought of as Jesus freaks. That's the whole point uh, that, that, that this section of scripture is making. They saw something in these Christians and they said, oh, they're all drunk. And rather than defend themselves, Peter said, hey, this is an opportunity for me to tell them what's really going on in my life. I'm not drunk, not the way you suppose. There's something fantastic going on. Let me tell you what it is. And so in verse 16, he says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Peter appeals to the word of God as our only and ultimate reference for how to live 
the Christian life. We must have references in the principles and precepts of God's word for all that we believe and for our every behavior. Peter also lets us know that spiritual phenomena must be rooted and grounded in the word of God. We are not free to behave any way that we choose, then say it was the Holy Spirit. Nor are we free to ignore spiritual phenomena that the Bible says is real as if it somehow has passed off the scene. We need to study carefully the word of God without putting our own preconceived prejudices and biases on it and struggle with the words and what they mean. And this is, really, this is really the heart of the problem when we talk about the Holy Spirit, the baptism with the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit. As we talked about at some length last week, we fall into camps or we choose sides. There is a charismatic side, uh, there is a cessationist side, or what we call the cessationist. There are those who say certain manifestations and phenomena of the Holy Spirit don't exist anymore, and their reason for saying that is because they say they don't exist anymore. They have this wonderful circular reasoning. They say, well, we know that the gift of tongues doesn't exist anymore because there are no more miraculous manifestations of the Spirit. How do we know that? Uh, I don't know, but we just know that. And then there is the charismatic side of thing, or what we would call the hyper-charismatic side of thing, uh, where anything goes. You want to jump off the balcony and make a splat on the carpet and say it was the Holy Spirit, uh, go for it. You know, who knows what that crazy, wild Holy Spirit might make you do. And, 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 so th- and this is the problem. This, we need to change that discussion and, and uh, you know, talk about what the Bible actually says. Will we all agree? No. But at least we will be making some progress. One more thing I'd like to point out. The very first sermon on the birthday of the church began with a discussion of Bible prophecy. Those people who think Bible prophecy is unimportant, those people who don't want to study it, those people who say, how can we ever really know and let's not take a position, that is not what Peter did. In fact, Peter writes a lot about prophecy in his two epistles and he talks a lot about it. And he thought it was so important that that's where he began. I mean, certainly he begins where his uh, listeners are with Jewish scripture, with the book of Joel, but there's a lot. I mean, he could have chosen a psalm. He could have talked to him about the Song of Solomon, but instead he said, I'm gonna pick out a prophetic passage that explains what's happening today and that talks about what is coming. And so prophecy is a very, very important area of scripture and a very important tool in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in verse 17, with this as his introduction, he quotes from Joel and he says, and shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. If you go back and read Joel in the original context, you'll see that he thought of the last days as a specific period of time. It would begin when the Jewish Messiah would come and establish the kingdom of God on earth. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter expanded the last days to include the whole period of time leading up to the coming of the Messiah to establish his kingdom. He declared that the last days had just begun with this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That means that we are in the last days. From the day of Pentecost 
until now, these are the last days of human history. The Old Testament prophets did not see any time gap between the first and second comings of Jesus Christ. They did not see the church age in which we live. Now, there are many scriptures that we can go back to and, and that indicate that the Messiah would first suffer and die before he would reign supreme. But the prophets themselves did not fully understand what they meant. Peter, this common, ignorant, burly fisherman, put into new perspective the entire scheme of last day's prophecy. One encouragement I draw from that is that Peter was a common, ignorant, burly fisherman, uh, and so are we in our own walk of life. And, and how did he get so smart? He hung around with Jesus. And later on in the book of Acts, they'll say something uh, to that effect. The, the accusations against them is that, hey, they, these are just common, ignorant fishermen who were with Jesus. So if you want to get smart, uh, hang out with Jesus. Read the word of God, and you'll be smarter uh, than anybody with several PhDs after his name that doesn't know the Lord. You might not know much about astrophysics, but you'll know the ultimate astrophysicist who holds everything together in the palm of his hand. And in the end, that's going to be a little bit more important than string theory or whatever they're working on now for you know, time travel. So uh, you can be pretty smart. Uh, in, you, know, you can be a Peter and, and put all of these things together. Now, the promised Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the 120. I want you to notice two things. The manifestations of the Spirit being poured out that Joel mentioned, they did not occur. They did not, on the day of Pentecost, prophesy or have visions or dream dreams. They would later on, but not that day. Secondly, the manifestations that did occur were not mentioned by Joel. There was the sound of a mighty wind, flame tongues of fire rested upon each of them, then they spoke in foreign languages that they had never learned, praising the wonderful works of God. And yet Peter says this is what Joel talked about. And so that tells us that what Joel meant and what Peter understood was that the emphasis is on the Holy Spirit being poured out, not on any particular phenomena that would be the result. There always is a result from being baptized with and filled with the Holy Spirit but it cannot be reduced to any one particular phenomena. Now, this is especially important in the charismatic community because often you are told there that the one single absolute proof that you have been baptized with and filled with God the Holy Spirit is that you leave speaking with other tongues, that you receive the gift of speaking in tongues. And over the years, I've known many sincere Christians who have been taught that and who've believed that, but in their personal sincerity have resisted the suggestion that they can then learn how to speak in tongues or, or practice speaking in tongues to prove to themselves that they've been, you know, received the Holy Spirit. And, and consequently, they, they don't receive the gift of tongues, so the, the, the conclusion is, you, well, then you must not have receive the baptism with the Spirit, and you must not be filled with the Spirit, and you're some kind of second or third class Christian if you're a Christian at all. And you live a defeated, sad life, searching after the gift of tongues your entire life. 
And so this is very important subjects. They're not just things that I like to talk about because, you know, I'm against anything. I'm for Christians. I love Christians. And I want people to be set free to serve the Lord and minister to the Lord and not be held back by these crazy teachings that are not scriptural. And so Peter said, this is the baptism with the Holy Spirit. But it wasn't exactly what Joel said, and it wasn't exactly what Peter, it is the outpouring of the Spirit that influences your life some way, some biblical way, but not in any one particular way every time. And so just be comforted by that. All believers from the day of Pentecost forward should be characterized by a sense of the supernatural and spiritual. It can and it will manifest itself differently, It should manifest itself to the point that people think there's something weird about you, even to the point of accusing you of being drunk. Remember the earlier analogy of being drenched. If you've been caught in a downpour, then walk into a room, people will see you dripping wet. Peter is telling us that the characteristic of the last days in which we live is that believers are dripping wet with the Holy Spirit. So you're a drip this morning, I guess, is one way we could put that. Let me show you this from another portion of the Bible. You don't have to turn there. And when I say you don't have to turn there, it means don't turn there because I'm not gonna wait for you to turn there. But it's Ephesians chapter five, verse 18. I guess if you wanna turn there, you can, but I'm still not gonna wait. And in Ephesians five eighteen, it says, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, The mention of being drunk in connection with the Spirit immediately reminds you of the original accusation on the day of Pentecost. Paul was saying that you should be so filled with the Holy Spirit that you could be characterized as being under his influence the way a person who is drunk is under the influence of alcohol. An unbeliever might even think you were drunk, but at least they think something's going on with you. And then Paul lists some effects of being filled with the Spirit. Again, it's, they're none of the same things that Joel talked about or that Peter talked about or that happened on the day of Pentecost. There's no one exhaustive list anywhere of what it means to be baptized with the Spirit and filled with the Spirit. It's just the sense of the Holy Spirit being in control of your life, drenching you with the sense of the supernatural. And so here's what Paul says are some of those effects. He says in verse 19 of Ephesians chapter 5, where you may or may not have turned, he says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. These things we would say are more general than the phenomena in Joel or on the day of Pentecost. We might say that they're not as supernatural, but if you look at them, they really are. They're still spiritual, they're still supernatural, and they are ways that we will think and act when we are drenched. First of all, he says that our everyday speaking to one another will be anointed by the Spirit of God. Peter, in his epistle, will say we should speak. When we speak, he says, we should speak as if we were the oracles of God. People should hear God speaking when we are speaking. Secondly, Paul says our hearts will be filled with songs, singing and making melody in our heart unto the Lord. 
And then he says, we will give thanks always for all things. And then he says, we'll be submitted to God's will and we'll be submitting to one another in the church. Those of you familiar with the passage in Ephesians know that immediately following these verses, Paul uses marriage as his first example. Tells husbands and wives how to remain under the influence of the Holy Spirit. It is the normal everyday expectation of the Bible that believers be drenched with the Holy Spirit to the point it is noticeable even in the small areas of what we say and how we walk, our talk and our walk. And that there is a quality to it, there is a characteristic of it, however you want to describe it, where people who are paying attention, if they had the freedom to, would say, there's something different about you. The way you're talking, the way you're walking, the way you're interacting, your reactions to things, you know, there's, what is it about you? It seems weird. Uh, No one else acts like that around here. What's going on? Now, we said last week that there's a definite experience of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. He is said to come upon you after you have been born again to empower you to serve the Lord. The disciples, they were definitely born again. And then Jesus said, now I want you to wait and the Holy Spirit who is in you will come upon you. And we see this repeated in the book of Acts later on. Since it was a promise It is unconditional. You simply realize this experience has been given to you and then you receive it by faith. And then there is also the experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It is something you are commanded to do. As you cooperate with the indwelling Holy Spirit, you remain filled and under his influence. A Christian under the influence of the Holy Spirit thinks and acts spiritually and even supernaturally. People will think that there is something unusual about you And there is, you are walking with God. One of the things, just in in a a very small thing, but an important thing, like Peter, um, you're looking for every and any opportunity to talk to people about Jesus. And, and, uh, you know, I have to confess that I I personally have a hard time with this because I'm just kind of crazy about getting the next thing done. And I don't know how many opportunities I must have missed in my life because I'm moving on to the next thing all the time. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we, we need to just return to a sense of the supernatural. God's placed us where he's placed us so that he can use us. Uh, and if people think we're weird, that's great. I think we spend a lot of time trying to convince people we're Christians, but we're normal. Really? No, I'm serious. And it sounds funny, but it's like, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm not a crazy, whacked out Jesus freak. Don't get that impression at all. I'm normal. I'm just like you, only I'm going to heaven and you're not. And so, you know, so the thing is, uh, we need to be a little bit weird, a little bit crazy, a little bit drunk with the Holy Spirit. If, it, if you're walking with God, it can't help but show. It might show itself in your speech or your songs or your thankful spirit. It might show itself in some supernatural phenomena, but it will show itself. Now, Peter, quoting Joel, indicated something else would shortly be poured out from heaven. And this is what makes our message so important. In verses 19 through 21, we need to help people realize that Jesus will pour out his wrath upon them. 
Peter in his first letter will explain that the Old Testament prophets like Joel wrote under inspiration but did not fully understand the timing of the last days. You can read about it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. The prophecy Peter quoted on the day of Pentecost is a good example. Joel saw the day of Pentecost because he talked about the outpouring of the Spirit and he saw the return of the Lord but he did not see that they would be separated by a gap of at least 2,000 years. We are living in that gap, but heading towards what is coming next. What is coming next is described in verses 19 and 20. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood, fire, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Now, this is unmistakably a reference to the coming future judgment upon the whole earth that the Bible elsewhere calls the tribulation. It is a specific period of time, seven years total, but especially the last three and a half years, during which the world is prepared through a series of divine judgments for the return of Jesus Christ in his second coming to establish the kingdom of God on earth. Its most complete description is in the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ in chapters 6 through 19. It is God's inconvenient truth, if you will. I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. Those of you who don't know what that means, ask somebody who laughed and they will tell you. No, I'll tell you. All right. See, I knew I shouldn't have done that. Al Gore has a movie called An Inconvenient Truth. Are you aware of that? About global warming. And so... You can go see that, or you can just read Revelation 6 through 19, find out it's going to be a lot worse than that. But uh, anyway, now as, as this period of time ends, that this period of time that we're in, just before the Lord's return, the judgments are described as seven bowls of the wrath of God being poured out upon the earth. So the church age, the rapture of the church, The seven-year tribulation, at the very end of that seven-year tribulation, the judgments are described as if bowls of wrath are being poured out upon the earth. So right now, God says, hey, I'm pouring out my spirit, whoever will believe. But there's coming an outpouring of the wrath of God. I want to read you just excerpts from Revelation 16. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So the first one out, poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared." Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. 
Every island fled away, and the mountains were not found, and great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hail a stone about the weight of a talent, about a hundred pounds. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. People need to know this judgment is coming. What they mostly need to know about it is in verse 21 of our text in Acts 2, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This area of scripture that we're in is very, very simple. We can overcomplicate it, but it's very simple. Jesus ascended into heaven. He's going to return to establish his kingdom on the earth. Just before he returns, judgment is going to be poured out upon the earth, a judgment whose purpose is to reveal Jesus Christ as Lord and King in order that unbelievers might repent and be saved rather than be lost for all eternity. These are the last days in which we live. Before Jesus returns and before that time of terrible judgment, he has raised up believers, the church, to go through the whole earth to be witnesses that whoever calls on his name shall be saved. He told us it was an impossible task unless we first receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit and we can because it was an unconditional promise. We can receive it any time by faith. We simply realize it has been given to you to empower you to serve the Lord. We only need to realize that once. For me, another way of talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the scripture in Zechariah that says it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That is kind of a almost a gut-level philosophy that we have to realize. And here, here's what happens, again, just in the practical day-to-day world. We encounter these scriptures, and some people run with them towards charismania. Holy Spirit's on the planet. He's been poured out. I'm supposed to be dripping wet. I'm going to run around speaking in tongues, prophesying, having dreams. Whether the prophecies ever come true, whether my prayer language was real or learned. None of that matters as long as I'm doing something, as long as there's a phenomena, as long as something happened. When I, when I leave the meeting, I can look back and say, hey, hey, I was touched. And then people say, you are touched, you know, kind of a thing. And, 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 it, it, and so they, they run in that direction. And to, to a whole slew of people, That is the baptism with the Holy Spirit. It's some really wild, crazy phenomena that the Holy Spirit, and and lately in the last few, uh, in the last decade, it's been barking like dogs or or laughing in the spirit and all these uncontrollable weird phenomena that broke out in Gainesville, Florida or Toronto, Canada, and people from Hanford flew to these places to see it firsthand and bring it back to their own churches so that they could have you down on all fours barking like a dog. I do that with my dog. And when I do it, I don't think it's the Holy Spirit. I think it's just me being weird with my dog, okay? On the other end of the spectrum, there are people, we refer to them as cessationists. They don't refer to themselves as cessationists. They refer to themselves as Christians. But uh, we refer to them, and they look at these scriptures, and maybe because of Pentecostal excesses or, or maybe because of their own biases, I don't know, they look at this and they say, hey, Whatever this is, it happened on the day of Pentecost and it ain't happening no more. 
we, we don't know what this gift of tongues is. We, we don't, this idea of prophecy, it seems to go against the Bible. You know, if you have the Bible, why do you need a gift of prophecy? And, and, and just one by one, they hack away at all of the supernatural. There are no miracles. There's no gifts. There's no, I mean, they say this in their books. I have, their, I have a room full of their books that say that there are no more miraculous uh, you know, events. And then every once in a while they hear of one and say, well, you know, God can do whatever he wants, but in general, you know, we just have the word of God and we just tough it out every day, living by the word of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, meaning that I super discipline myself. <laughs> okay, I'm going out into the world. <laughs> no lust, no murder. You know, and, and I mean, it's all personal discipline and, and, and what I can do as a person. And right in the middle of that is, this, is God saying, it's not by might nor by power, it's by my spirit. You can't do any of that. This is weird anyway, and that is all you. Why don't you just realize that I have poured myself out upon you? You don't need programs, you don't need to say things have ceased, but you don't have to swing over this way and allow everything to happen. There's a great middle ground where you just live every day as a Christian in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're talking about. And then the Holy Spirit wants to fill us, but he can be grieved and his activity within us can be quenched. When we allow this to happen, we don't experience the fullness of the Spirit's working and power in and through us. And quite often it's just because we're in sin. There's sin in our life. We need to confess and repent of it so that the Holy Spirit can fill us. We'll never be perfectly filled this side of eternity because we remain in this body of flesh. But the idea is that as the Lord reveals things to us, we deal with them and move on. And so you, you can be baptized, you can be filled. Cops apply field sobriety tests when they suspect a drunk driver. I got pulled over a few years ago. I was real tired and I was weaving, you know, and I thought this is it, you know, because I really can't walk a straight line. Uh, but luckily the police officer knew that I hadn't been drinking and he let me keep going. We were coming back from Avenel State Prison where we used to teach the Bible and man, I just, you know, I was out of it. It's not enough coffee. They don't serve any real good coffee out there and stuff, you know, so. <laughs> so I've never had a field sobriety test. Uh, I've needed some, you know, before I was a Christian, but I've never had one, but I know what they do. An officer will observe your eyes as you attempt to follow a slowly moving object. You've watched cops. You see how funny this is, you know. It's tragic, but it's funny. (laughs) Then he will ask you to walk heel to toe or to stand on one leg. And that's that's just hard for me. If you notice, I waddle when I walk. And I can't really walk heel to toe. It hurts. I don't like it. It's because I broke my leg serving the Lord here in Hanford. But anyway... (laughs) And he might ask you to recite the alphabet backward. Now, I can't do that anyway. I can't hardly recite the alphabet without singing it. I'd have to go X, Y, Z, and then go Z, Y, oh no, X. Yeah, see, I mean, I'm, they're going to hook me up. Now, why am I telling you this? I don't know. No, that's not true. It's because it's an illustration. Unbelievers don't know it. They don't realize it. They don't do it on purpose. But if you're a Christian, they are administering field sobriety tests on you all the time. They're watching your walk and listening to your talk. At least you should tell people that you're a Christian or they should know you're a Christian. And, and once the cat's out of the bag, whether you like it or not, unbelievers are looking to see 
how much you are like them or how much you're like Christ. And the idea here, it may sound funny, but I think it's profound. They should more and more come to the conclusion that you're drunk, that there's some drenching, some dripping, there's something going on in your life that can't be explained on a natural basis. Something about the way you talk, something about the way you walk with the Lord that is, is different and supernatural. Uh, it, it can be something that seems common, like the words you choose or the way that you speak them, or it can be something phenomenal. It can be a, a supernatural experience. As long as it's grounded and rooted in the word of God, it, it's, it's, the, it's the hook that draws people in to ask what's going on so that you can tell them, here's what's going on. God wants to save you before the wrath of God is poured out on this Christ-rejecting world. We live in the last days just before the return of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these things. And I want to pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ this morning that we would not be confused about these areas of Scripture. We haven't answered and will never answer all the potential questions or concerns about what all of this means but we can step back and understand that you love us enough to have poured out your spirit upon us that you want us to walk not in our own might or power but by your spirit some of us have been given to Pentecostal excesses before in our past others have gone into a cessationist camp where we we want to do everything ourselves and have our own human man-made programs and I pray Lord that all of us would examine our lives And be sure that you have poured out your spirit upon us in a way that we understand that we live the Christian life in the strength of the Holy Spirit and that anything that we try and do outside of that is impossible for us. But that within that, all things are possible through Christ who strengthens us. And Lord, just on a very practical level, we discover sin in our lives. It quenches and it grieves the Holy Spirit and it blocks the filling of the spirit that we so desire and need and so I pray that we would deal with those things and that we would believe that your commandments are your enablings maybe we have habitual sins or things that we've struggled with for years I know that they can be strongholds they can have dominion over us and all of that yet at the same time the chains and the bondage is easily broken anything you've commanded us to do you have equipped us to do you've empowered us to do We can return to a place of believing that and walking in victory. And I pray that we would do that and that collectively people would look upon our church and other good churches in Hanford and wonder what's going on in there because lives are being changed. People who were addicted to various things and who were headed for destruction, now their lives, Lord, are filled with the scent of heaven. They're talking about eternity reaching out to others and making a difference in their lives. And so, Lord, whatever adjustments we need to make, whatever radical changes or slight uh, changes, Lord, help us to do those things. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the simplicity of the Word of God and of the fact that our walk with you is just that. It's a relationship with the living God who's risen, ascended into heaven, and returning soon. And I pray, like the disciples, Lord, in the book of Acts, that things would start to come to us. Opportunities would come to us. 
we wouldn't even have to go anywhere, Lord, but that people would start to ask us what it is about our lives that makes us different and what they must do to be saved. You've done it before. You can do it again. And then we'll know, Lord, that it's all you and not us. Thank you, Lord. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Some of the guys will be down uh, front to pray with you for any reason, anything that's on your heart. Maybe you have a prayer request or a need in your life. Um, Some people like to come forward and to be prayed for to receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit. There's nothing I've said that would preclude that from happening. Uh, You don't have to be prayed for by uh, the pastor or an elder of the church. It's not something that I have that I can give to you. You can pray for it in the quiet of your own heart. It's really just an understanding of how to live the Christian life and the power that's available to you. But if you'd like to come forward and be prayed for and say, you know, would you just pray for me? I really want to be a first century Christian. Uh, Then come forward, wait, and the guys will lay hands on you and they'll pray for you. God bless you. Uh, I hope that the things that we're saying about the Holy Spirit would, rather than confuse or confound you, they would set you free to know how much Jesus loves you and how much he has provided for you to live this thing called the Christian life so that others would see the joy unspeakable and full of glory that is yours because you're an eternal being on your way to heaven, that you're not headed for the wrath of God to come, and that we would save as many as we possibly can before we hear that trumpet sound. May God bless and keep you in Jesus' name. Amen.